Hiya, this is Flicks and Scoops and I'm Ash. I'm watching films and ice cream together because I seemingly have nothing better to do with my time. Each episode I invite a guest to pick a film, I then make an ice cream inspired by the film and then we eat the ice cream and talk about the film. And if I didn't just say film and ice cream enough, then there's a couple more to satisfy your cravings. This time around my guest is the Berlin-based multidisciplinary artiste Carly Jean Dorrington. We spanned time by eating ice cream and talking about the indie flick Buffalo 66. I hereby warn of spoilers. If you haven't seen Buffalo 66, then I'd advise giving it a once-over before listening to our episode. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or you'll be going on Santa's shit list. Otherwise, snuggle up, relax. Because here comes Flicks and Scoops episode 11. Now it's time for Ice Cream. Get it right here. All right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and scoops. Today, I have the very great honour of uh, being joined by the Jean Genie herself. <laughs> the most, one of the most dubious northerners I know. <laughs> Please get up for Miss Carly Jean Darrington. So proud of myself, made it out of my house. <laughs> How are we doing? You good? I'm very good. Yeah, I'm really happy now that I have this massive big glass of uh, ice cream. You're making some very complimentary noises. Yeah, <laughs> eating that. it's really delicious. I didn't pay her. Uh uh-uh. uh. Just, not... just for everyone to know. Mm. Is it inappropriate if I eat and talk at the same time? No. Go right ahead. Wow, I really like the uh, the donuty bits. <laughs> so. Today I've made a chocolate donut ice cream Yum. because uh, Miss Dorrington mm. chose the film Buffalo 66. She did. In which there's a scene where Billy, played by Vincent Gallo. Billy is Brown. M- Billy Brown. And the ice cream's brown as well. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you see, Carly. Uh, <laughs> she, he's given a plate of donut, chocolate donuts by his mum, who he has to remind He's allergic to chocolate. Mm, I thought it was very fitting. Was very funny scene. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure doing these podcasts, actually, reconnecting yeah. with people. I've not seen you for a while. It's been almost a year, I think. Yeah. And um, what have you been up to in between that time? Mm, just staying alive, basically. That's normally my main goal. <laughs> do you find it difficult to do that? Sometimes, yeah, especially <laughs> these days. It's definitely a challenge. Um no, I've been doing bits and bobs. I mean, what was I doing when I last saw you? I, you have to remind me. I'm, I'm not very good with time. Time is is a confusing thing sometimes. Um, yeah, it was your birthday, I think. And at the time you were doing um, like these travelling uh, workshops. That's right. I mean, that was like the last time we really spent like a solid amount of time together was on the workshop, no? On the mountain, mm. I feel like, wasn't it? Yeah, so Carly and I have spent a lot of uh, unprofessional time together. Yes, <laughs> but and the, professional. The one time uh, we spent <laughs> professional time together <laughs> was uh, Carly was doing a uh, a workshop at a retreat that we were at. Yeah. And it was Sumanagashi, right? Did I say yeah, that right? Japanese marbling, yeah. What is Sumanagashi? Well, what isn't it? <laughs> I mean, basically like a good, a shared mutual friend of ours, she... Um, is a fancy yoga teacher and she does fancy yoga stuff, doesn't she? Doesn't she, Ash? And um, <laughs> yeah, she asked me if I wanted to do a workshop with her. So she wanted to combine like a yoga retreat also with um, sort of art 
and not really art therapy, but in a sense it was sort of like an art therapy sort of situation. And it was the first time I'd ever done that. But previously I'd just been doing sumonagashi as a form of printing on like fabrics and silks because that's what my background is in uh, fabrics and textiles. So um, yeah, sumonagashi is basically, it's a form of printing on paper or silk and you take ink and you float it on uh, water or you can thicken the water and um, yeah you can print with it <laughs> it's a very hard thing to explain I mean it has that's like that's why I asked you to explain it <laughs> yeah I know and I always sound crazy when I'm explaining it but it's got yeah it's also got a lot of depth to it and you, you can think of it as just like surface design or you can think of it some people just think of it as like a funny thing that kids do but I mean, traditionally it was like used as a form of meditation and also as they used to think that it could like predict the future and lots of things. So it's just an interesting uh, art form. Yeah, yeah, right. And um, I really got into it because it is so simple, but it's also you can develop it and work with it in lots of ways. Well, I remember doing it at school um, when, I don't know, I guess we were like five, six, whatever. Yeah. But then when with I did it paper. with <laughs> Everyone always says that. Oh, let's just do it with nail polish or wallpaper. Really? <laughs> a lot of people do, can do that, but it's, it, yeah, it depends what you use, like the inks that you use and like the actual Sumonagashi inks are different because they float on water in there. You can buy all different types. It's, it's really like there's not much li much literature about it. There's only like two books written about it. It's like a very strange sort of art form that mm. no one really knows about. I did. Um, I must admit, I did find it very meditative. When it's we were really doing it. accessible. I think it's like, um, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not like a, a hard thing to teach, or it's not like I've got any amazing skills by doing it. I was just doing it on my own work in my own studio because I liked that each print was different, and then it just developed into like other things. But I think it also trans really translates really well to fabrics. So I think. Um, people like it because they can do it and kids can do it and anyone can do it but it's it's different the things that you create are different and yeah I don't know if that makes any sense yeah totally the ones it's that like I did staring at this ice cream be like it's different it's great it's amazing <laughs> the ones that I did look like uh, someone just sat on a painting with wet trousers but yeah that's, but that's maybe predicting your future <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of good in store then by the looks of it but some of the ones that you did were were great yeah but I've been I've been doing it for like I've been doing it for a good few years. What drew you to it in the first place? I mean, back when I first started doing it, I had like a small, uh, tech, like a small, I don't want to say like fashion label, but a small textiles label. And I was making like one off pieces. And it. I was just researching. I had a really small studio that I was sharing with a friend of mine, Chloe, a French lady. And um, yeah, I was just making these one off pieces and I was trying to research different ways of printing in a sustainable way without having like lots of machinery or money or me not having to spend loads of money. And then um, I just I just found this technique and it worked really well on silk. And then I just started doing it a lot and researching it a lot. And then I got more and more into it over the years. And yeah, it was just, I think I just liked that it was so unique and it also had, I liked the like, don't want to sound pretentious, but I liked that it, like the, the history to it, that they used to use it for like poetry and things like this. And I don't know, I just liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and do you use it uh, as a form of meditation now or is it strictly, strictly art for you? Oof, I mean, honestly, like I haven't given many workshops in the recent 
times, obviously, because Rona's not the best time for workshops. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was doing a lot of it. And then I sort of, like with most things, if you do them all the time, you, you get a bit frustrated with them. Yeah. So I haven't been doing so many workshops with it, but I still really do enjoy sharing it with people. And I still really enjoy, like, printing on fabric and um, making things like that. But I haven't been using it as a form of meditation myself. Um because it is, you know, you need to set it up and do everything like that. So it's just easier to sit on a chair and stare at the wall when you're meditating. <laughs> That's the best bit about it. But, uh, and how has how's the Rona situation affected these workshops that you do? Have you taken stuff mm, online or? God, and I, I, honestly, I mean, like the retreat was like an amazing experience and that was great. But like I had a space. I don't know if you know that. I, I used to run a space called Sonda 54 where I was basically just giving the workshops I opened it with a friend of mine and we were invited different artists to also give workshops and it was used as a studio space it was just like a creative space and I was running that space for a couple of years and that was like a great outlet because I had the space and I could just offer the workshops and different people could just come and it was very easy but then um, when we um, left the the space I keep saying space space <laughs> space <laughs> When we left the building. Facilities. Thank you. Help me out because I sound insane. Um, yeah, I then started to just travel around and do them, yeah, at different people's facilities, <laughs> which was also cool. But the, when you run workshops, it's nice if people invite you and you can just use their facilities, I think, because it's, yeah, it's complex and you have to, like, put in, like, the travel and, like, where are you going to go and what are you going to do, so... Now I think it's just nice to just share it locally with like friends or people that want to do it and not really like so much on a bigger scale because there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember how big my suitcase was when I went to that retreat. But <laughs> bigger than me. It was not pleasant for those poor guys who had to pull it up over the side of that mountain. Has the whole quarantine situation given you more time to focus on your art? Or have you found it, it's been more difficult for creativity? Um, I mean, I'm still having to work and like, obviously before that I started to work more in like costume and things like this. So I was actually working creatively, but also, um, yeah, different like, um, break, it's called breakdown and costume projects. So I was doing that. I was a professional, having a professional breakdown. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's always, it's always tricky for me to balance like work, survival and creativity, but I always know that it's important for me to be creative because when I don't do it I get really frustrated and I'm like a bit of an asshole. so <laughs> it's like con a constant strive I'm constantly striving to like find a balance with that but um yeah lately I've been working on like smaller smaller projects that don't involve me needing so much setup or so much space but there's things I can like work on work on on like a low-key projects yeah yeah do you prefer those smaller scale I mean, I go through phases. I mean, if I, if I had like, if I was like a lord and someone just sort of like sponsored me for my life and like gave me millions and millions of, of euros, then I'd probably be right up for having like a massive space and just doing loads of crazy stuff. But I think, um, like you know, being realistic and like wanting to be creative, but also, uh, yeah, needing to, you know, be a human. I yeah I feel like smaller smaller scale projects are easier for me and like I really like working now on uh, 
little book projects and things like this, which okay. is what I also did with the Sumanagashi, but I prefer to work on a smaller scale because then I can just work on it when I have time or when I, when I can, basically. Maybe not governments. Governments. And especially not the UK government. But um, it seems like people uh, are recognising the arts and artists in particular as having uh, greater importance. Are they? This is why I'm asking. I want to. Oh. I want to get your take on it. Because for me, yeah. Because obviously working in video and stuff. Yeah. And now everybody's watching films and all this sort of thing. Cinemas closing. People are starting to realise like how much we actually use these. Uh, I feel like these cultural outlets. But uh, uh, how's it been for you? That's a really interesting point. <laughs> I've got a lot to say about please, it. Please, please, yeah. I think like yeah. Okay, the German obviously in Germany, like Germany, the German government. We'll give, they, gave, they gave out the most money for arts and artists, right? So in a sense, we're in the right place. But, I mean, generally, I feel like people, like the people, society, like they're starting to realise it more and more, but I don't think it's going to necessarily change how much money or support artists get to actually function in society. Mm, right. <laughs> I feel like, in a sense, like uh, it could make it even harder because... It's important for like artists and people to have a community and be able to like for people to go and see art and people to be together. And I think if we're if we're going to be more and more separated in the future, then I don't I don't know if it's going to be a, a positive thing. But I don't really know if I feel like they kind of yeah they're doing their best. They had to like support everybody in the situation and the people's changing finances and all these different things but I guess being more isolated and being at home like people maybe need like they're starting to read again or they're starting to like watch more films and do things like this and I feel like they have more time to sort of I guess also distract themselves from like all the crazy things that are happening in the world but um yeah who would be nice if art was recognized as being important I think any day now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pull you up on a point you made earlier as oh, well. No. That I wanted to. I wanted to ask you about. Uh, oh no! Because of course you don't just throw ink at paper or water. You're multi-talented. Oh me? Yeah, I did. I, I can't talk. I did my any research. ice cream at the same same time. <laughs> I did my research. Oh no! Uh, I've seen some of the other stuff you've done. What's that? Uh, well, it's like <laughs> materials and installations. And yeah, I mean. that's like. I definitely have like. I'm a, a weird person that has a divided like creativity. Like there's the creativity that I would do for work that I would get paid for, which yeah, that's different. And then the workshops became also like more of a work thing, which I wasn't really sure if I liked, to be honest, because I always freak out when things, when I start making money from things and they're creative, it sort of confuses me a lot. But I guess that's, yeah, something to work on. Um, but then, yeah, I have my own practice, which is always just ongoing I think and um done a couple of artist residencies and yeah I can't I, I find it hard to talk about my own practice practice because it's just a personal like exploration I don't ever think like it's never really that important for me to even share it which is a bit odd I think but I, I start to think of it as just a way of me understanding myself in the world and I'll probably you know, I hope to be like one of those mad old ladies and when I die, they just come to my house and they're like, holy shit, like she made all these weird things and like, that's cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have been uh, making different installations and like doing different projects and making portals and doing things like this in the middle of forests. I hope that I can continue doing those things in the future. <laughs> 
And um, now, but now I'm, my main thing right now is that I'm working on a little book project. Which is what? What more do you need I know to what a know? Book is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a book. Um, it's kind of a strange topic, but it's I'm working with a good friend of mine who makes books and produces books, and we also work together on a lot of my installation projects as well. We seem to work quite well, so we just keep working on creative projects, basically. And um, yeah, it's a book about memory, and it's actually a book about death, so it's a really cheerful topic. But um, yeah, it's just a book that I'm working on about death. You managed to sidestep the issue that I wanted to get to, which was that the, uh, <laughs> you worked in the costume department on Wes Anderson's latest I film, The French Dispatch. I did that. That is true, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, it's been pushed back to a 2021 release. Yeah, it keeps mm-hmm. being pushed back. I've been saving that golden sequin ball gown. <laughs> it's getting dusty in the corner of my room. I mean, for me, the less time Timothy Chalamet is on screen, the better. But um, yeah. do you just want to uh, tell us how that experience was? Because it sounds incredible. You got to make uh, Tilda Swinton's dress. Yeah, I got correct. to hand print Tilda Swinton's dress. It almost killed me and I was hallucinating for like weeks afterwards that everything was orange and had feathers on it. But um, yeah, I was working on um, Babylon Berlin, the TV show. Ah, cool. And then I was working on that more solidly, like, God, was it even for like a year? Or on and off for a year. Um, a friend of ours. Uh, it all happened through Eugene. Oh yeah, of yeah, course. The right. connection came through Eugene, a good friend of ours. And then I um, was working on that project with her. It was a lot of fun. And then they um, they got the they got offered the job to do um, the Wes Anderson film. Forgot his name for a minute there. <laughs> and then they asked me if I would work on that because obviously my background is in print. And yeah, that's how it started. So I just ended up the working solidly on that dress and it was it was a lot of fun it was also a lot of work like we were working 17 hour days just Mm. working away and we designed the print together and then we had to do all the color matching and yeah and what's the process like does somebody come to you with an art design see how feasible it is and then you make it or do you get to suggest some stuff or well basically um it was the quite famous costume designer Milena Cananero. she was the costume designer and she designed the actual dress the design of the dress and she there were it was like a one t- chance thing so she had already cut the dress it was cut out of this amazing like silk very rare silk and um the dress was then sent from Paris to the studio in Berlin and then we um, yeah, we had a few cut- cut-offs of fabric to sort of practice on, basically. So we had to be sending over the first, we did the colour matching to get the perfect orange, and then Wes Anderson had to agree, yes, that is the perfect orange, and that took a, f- a while, eh? Yeah, but... There's a lot of shades of orange in the world. And um, so once that, once he accepted that, then we had to then work on the, the feathers, because each feather had to be hand-printed because the silk was so thin. So they had to be hand-printed and hand-placed and hand designed and everything so it was yeah very like meticulous focused sort of work because if you make like one mistake with the screen then the whole dress is not going to work so yeah and how many of the was you working on that on that dress three of us three yeah three of us mainly and then there were a couple of late nights when everyone had to sort of jump in and help us but it was mostly three of us um working on the the actual physical printing and yeah getting it ready and 
then it needed to be sort of shipped off to Paris and yeah. finished off on uh, on the set, actually. Yeah, but I didn't do that. Have you seen the film Yeah. No. I've seen, like, clips and I've had some, like, really nice images sent to me, but no, still waiting. I once worked on a feature film, but I think... Did you? you? Well, you looked out, I think, in comparison, because I worked on Testament of Youth, it was called. And wow, it was, that sounds dark. It was, it's a World War One drama. It's the guy who plays Jon Snow, Kit, Kit Harrington, mm. and Alicia I haven't Vikander. seen Game of Thrones. Good, you're not missing much. Um, really? <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, and they were shooting it near near Sheffield. There's a there's an estate that they'd, I guess, rented the grounds of mm-hmm. and turned it into a big uh, trench thing. And it was when I was at uni. Uh-huh. So they were just putting out calls for helpers, basically. But my official title was Humper. Humper? Humper, yeah. And it's nowhere near as exciting as it sounds because we just had to... Yeah, the t- these titles are weird, like breakdown artist and humper. And we were just carrying stuff all day. That's all it was. It was just a glorified. Why weren't you called carrier? carrier? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, humper sounds quite erotic. Yeah, I was. I got my hopes up too much. I think. Yeah, going you thought into you were going to be humping John Snow. Well, I had, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, were you wrong? <laughs> I did get to uh, deliver tea actually, to Alicia Vikander. She was super chill because she asked for a tea because it was the first time I'd worked on anything like that. Mm. I just took it straight to her. I didn't realise there was a is hierarchy. A yeah, yeah. She was a, like, oh, my God, a humper. This is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's a humper in my neck. <laughs> this is the thing. She was she was super nice about it, really, really chill. Like, oh, thanks very much. But then her, I guess it was her assistant or the, the person who'd been assigned to look mm. after her, gave me so much shit i hate this i'll give it to her ridiculous like don't do that don't do this and that's i mean i think like working in um i don't know in the like film industry or anything like that it's great and it's like really exciting and it can be really fun but um there is this sort of like way you should behave and who you should speak to and like it you need to be really careful of like what you say and who you say it to and like yeah absolutely would you yeah. work on film or TV again? I'd prefer to work on uh, theatre or opera, but um, right now, obviously, all the theatres and the opera houses are closed down. Um, the th- I would, I would. I really liked working on the on the um, film piece because it was also like really intense work, and then it was finished. But I think, yeah, when you um, when you work in TV, it's really long hours, and it's yeah, it takes a lot of energy. Non-stop. Yeah, it's non-stop. But like if you commit to like one project for like a year, then you're going to be working like most days to like maybe like eight in the evening or even later if they need you to. And that's expected of you pretty much. So, yeah, I think, yeah. (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) What is this? Is this, is this a shifter car? I cannot drive a shifter car, right? So we got a little situation here. I can't drive these kind of cars. What the fuck is going on? You think that's funny? Would you like to know, smartass? Would you like to know why I can't drive this kind of car? I'll tell you why. I'm used to luxury cars. Have you ever heard of a luxury car? You know what luxury means? Have you ever heard of Cadillac? Cadillac Eldorado? That's what I drive. I drive cars that shift themselves. My cars shift themselves. They're luxury cars. They shift themselves. CJD. Oh, yep. Are you a flicker or a scooper? Well, when I first read that, I actually thought you were talking about... um 
picking my nose because that was my association with those words. But um, yeah, I realised that this was not a podcast about picking my nose. So um, I would say I am a flicker. Why? Am I more of a flicker than a scooper? Because <laughs> the only reason I knew what that actually meant is because I um, listened to one of your other podcasts and it means like, do you... Now, what do you mean by that again? Can you remind me? Do you prefer watching films yeah. or eating ice cream? I prefer watching films, so I'm a flicker. Yeah. And why is that? Um, I really like ice cream, but I think I have a different association of, like, ice cream. It doesn't necessarily go with watching films for me. Like, I think ice cream is more about, like, a sunny day, walk outside kind of thing. Like a seasonal treat. Sort of yeah, I'm not. I'm not like the kind of person that eats ice cream necessarily, like in my house or like. <laughs> I would never. This I is, only eat it on the street. I only eat it where I won't get messy. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads nicely into the next one. Mm. Do you eat it from a cup or a cone? Defo a cone. Defo a cone. Yeah, and I do. And you don't get messy with the cone. Well. You see, that's that's not a simple answer because I would say I would always go for a cone because that's like, you know, I'm a stickler for tra- tradition and I just, I like to have a cone. But I've had a lot of bad experiences where I've, you know, it's fallen off and it's just like fallen on my foot and it's been like a really sad day. Um, but uh, I do go for a cup if I'm multitasking or I'm like taking a walk or talking to someone because otherwise it, like, you know, could, it could get messy. Yeah. It's a dangerous activity in an ice cream. Risky business, isn't it? It is risky business. They should invent another way. Maybe it. I'll do it. Maybe yeah. I'll have my claim to fame. Like a squirty ice cream gun. <laughs> yeah, let's put that in the, on the back burner. Put that one on think. the back burner. <laughs> uh, and what's your favourite ice cream flavour? So if you went to an ice cream shop and you could only choose one scoop, what would you choose? Well, I have... I normally always go for salty caramel because I just really, really like it. But I re- it needs to be the good kind, you know. The, like it just needs to be the good kind of salty caramel because it. You, if you get like a cheapo version of the salty caramel, it can be really. So you mean like a thick ice cream? Like a almost. thick sort of, you know, these like in Berlin you can get these really delicious like homemade sort of ice creams like a salty caramel with. It's just. It's hard to explain, but I know when it's a goodie or it's a baddie. Yeah. And um, I also really like equally. Can I have two or is that one? Tell me what the other is and I'll, I'll let you know. I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. And I, every time I order it, I get a little bit nervous because I feel like I'm saying it wrong. But it's fior de latte. Fior de latte. <laughs> and that's how I... Fior de latte. When I order it, I'm like, please may I have fior de latte. <laughs> I'm going to give you the foie de latte, just for the pronunciation, but also nobody's said that yet. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. It's just, when that's done right, it's like heaven in a cup. Is ice cream usually your flavour of choice, your snack of choice at the (laughs) cinema? Uh, No. (laughs) You're a popcorn person, don't tell me. Oh, good. No, I don't really like popcorn. I'm a peanut M&M person that is a great shout i love peanut m&ms and it's such a i'm embarrassed for that to be my snack of choice but that's what that's what i want it's it's a very good snack i always feel quite itchy afterwards so i think i might be slightly allergic to peanuts (laughs) it definitely sounds like yeah but i just i love it i love peanut m&ms the only umbrage i would take to it is that it's a little bit noisy 
That is true. Um, you've got the bag rustle, you've got the peanut crunch. Yeah, but I would generally like shuffle a few out into my lap or into my hand and then just eat them from my crotch. <laughs> just Very novel way of eating To not annoy anyone else. <laughs> and do you go to the cinema often when you can? I watch films often, but I'm not... I mean, I do love going to the cinema. I wouldn't... I mean, like, I guess... I go through phases or... I mean, it's weird to talk about that now because, because obviously now it's like... It feels like, yeah, I can't go to the cinema. I actually can't go to the cinema. But um, I really like um, documentary films. So, like, one thing that I've all, I've been doing for the last, like, four or th- three or four years is I have been going to this uh, documentary arts festival. So I always, every year, would get a ticket to that and then I would, like, intensely go to the cinema through the whole of the festival, like, literally spend... I think it runs for, like, two weeks. And Which I'd one is it? pretty much spend the whole time inside <laughs> the cinema. <laughs> which is a bit weird what uh, what festival is it it's just called Do- Do- docuarts docuarts festival and they uh, it actually normally runs in uh, november but it's not running this month sadly so so normally throughout november they they just run like a program of different documentary um doc- documentaries <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> and a lot of them are about um artists or they're sort of somehow connected to the arts but it's really interesting and like I really loved going to that festival and just like yeah just sort of immersing myself in that for like a the whole of the program it's really cool and then often the directors would come at the end and talk about their films so you could ask them questions yeah so I'm into that are you a Q&A question asker I am oh yeah but if you I wanna... can I'd love to I mean it, it would have to be a really pressing question for me to have the balls to ask it to be honest but okay there's a really good documentary festival in Sheffield. Really? The, the Dover, yeah, it's one of the biggest. Um, and, I mean, it's bad, obviously, because they couldn't hold it in person this year. But yeah. it was good for me because they put it online. Ah. So I was able to watch it from here. Usually I would have to go back, back home to attend it, yeah. Yeah. They are actually putting, um, putting, I think, putting something online. I'm not sure it's like the usual programme, but we're going to check it out. Right. Yeah. Have you ever worked in any video yourself? For any art projects or anything? If I ever, like, used video yeah. as a medium, only when I was about tw- 15, 12. I, made, I used to make horror films really? with my friends. Have yeah. you still got them? Uh, a couple of my friends have got some copies of them, yeah. Mate, you've got to hit me up with We those. made a film called Thelma and Pooeys. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about? It was a... It was a sort Do of, I even you know, want to ask? It was based on Thelma and Louise, but just with someone called Thelma and Pooeys. <laughs> Fascinating. Classic. So Carly chose Buffalo 66 to talk about today. She did. Why did you choose this film? Well, I chose it for lots of reasons. I mean, I think it was one of the first films I ever saw that I, like visually, it just really struck me. Like I really, I really like the way that the film looks. I like the way it's the colours. I like the way that he plays around with like splitting up the screen. And I know these aren't like sort of like particularly sort of epic choices, but it just visually, I really like it. It's very dreamy and it just has like an atmosphere about it that I I just really liked. And I'd never seen anything like that. And I, yeah, I first saw it with a friend of mine who... And we used to just watch films together, like, growing up. Like, I'd go around to her house, and I think we were watching, like, a bunch of films that we were nowhere near, like, old enough to watch. But, like, 
for some reason she had one of those like households where like her parents were just never there mm. it was like one of those mystery worlds and i'd just go around there and we would just get our hands on all these different videos and i what we watched it together and i really yeah i just really liked it i'd seen brown bunny oh yeah. first before i saw this ah okay um and then yeah because yeah. that got some a lot of crazy press didn't it yeah a lot of controversy and i think yeah. just being a teenager who happened to be into art house films or whatever yeah and then after i saw brown bonnet the two i tried mashing the two worlds together and then i looked up buffalo 66 yeah um but yeah which same one thing. do you like more buffalo 66 yeah definitely uh, yeah, brown bunny is it's interesting but it's, yeah it's odd i mean he's, he's obviously well like you said earlier he's a provocateur yeah gallop, for sure which definitely felt a bigger issue in Brown Bunny, whereas Buffalo sixty six, similar reasons to you really. I was I was taken by the aesthetic of it and some of the filmic techniques that he uses yeah. to make it. The humour also, honestly, like it really yeah, that really spoke to me, I think, when I first saw it and like growing up in like a small town and like those weird sort of idiosyncratic sort of memories that he has in the film. I really like that. And it, yeah, I don't think I'd seen anything like that at that point in my life. And I remember just being like, really like, oh, wow, like, this is really, this is really cool. <laughs> and being an artist yourself, wow. were, <laughs> were you aware of uh, Vincent Gallo for his art? Um, no, not at that point. No, I wasn't. I mean, I just... I was, I mean, I, when I first saw it, I think I was like 15 and, um, yeah, we had like, I had like a little film club at school with a couple of girls that we would like watch films in a cupboard and, um, <laughs> how big it literally was a cupboard. We didn't want to do sports. So they let us have this cupboard. And, uh, so I watched it with my friend and then we watched it again, um, in our film club <laughs> And uh, I wasn't really, I mean, we didn't have the internet then, so it was like, it was quite hard to figure out much about him and his art. But like, as I kept on watching it, and as I got older, I, I think I sort of read more about him. And then I listened to, I think maybe, maybe a couple of years after I watched the film when I was about 16, 17, I bought one of his albums because he also makes music. And I really liked the music that he made. It's similar to to the films. It's very like also very dreamy and really atmospheric, and it has that sort of like low key, under produced kind of sound. Mm. But like, maybe more as as the musician. Mm. I I didn't know anything about his art or musical life until yeah. about a couple of years ago, actually. He's a painter as well, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and I went to the Basquiat exhibit mm. in. Paris at the time and I think there was maybe a picture of them together or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because he was uh, they were friends and he was like... They were in a band together. He, ah, they right, were which I found band. hilarious because I, yeah. I, when I saw the picture and it was Vincent Gallo, I obviously knew him from seeing him in films. Yeah, he's a man of many sort of lives. He's just like also like done so many different things. Yeah. Really interesting guy. And has the film had an influence on your life at all? Um... I think in a way that it's like, like, I think like it's a lot to do with the connect, being connected to that time maybe in the memory of like watching those films and having that film club and like, you know, like discovering like more like creative sides of myself, like when I was like, you know, 14, 15 and like, you know, starting to develop an interest in more like artistic things and yeah. like, 
Um, so in that sense, I like it, it has because I connect it to that time in my life. And like, yeah, like visually and just seeing someone put together like images and music and because and he acted in it himself. And yeah, a lot of people say he's got a massive ego, but I actually think it does work in this film. Yeah. Right. I respect him for just throwing together loads of different techniques. That's, yeah. what, I, that's what I like about it. I wouldn't say the film's influenced me per se, but I'm definitely the kind of person who, if I see a certain technique that I like the look of, mm. I'll if I'm working on a project, I'll try and crowbar it in there somehow. Even, yeah. <laughs> even if it works I mean, it's hard that. to say how it how much it influenced me when you see something like that and you're quite young. Who knows what parts of, of those films or images that you see somehow stick in your head? But like visually, like the style actually in the film, like the way he dresses and she dresses, and like that sort of sort of slightly seventies sort of like I don't want to say seventies porn vibe, but that is uh, like a, a way of dressing and a way of the way things look that I like. You know, so maybe who knows? Maybe it did sort of somehow stick in my head more than I realised. Yeah, right. And what's your favourite scene? definitely the chocolate allergy scene okay that and the whole scene of the that the really awkward dinner with his uh family i just there's a lot in that scene i just i can connect to and i just think it's like a really honest portrayal of like a lot of people's weird relationships within families and i think that's what the film is about basically um I just really like that scene and I like the fact that it is equally funny as it is equally sad, you know, that he is allergic to chocolate and then there's this image of him with this swollen face and I just, I don't know, I think a lot of us have probably got stories and memories of like things like that maybe from our lives that are uh, just, they're just, it's just really real and it's really funny and that's why I like it. I just want to check that you're not allergic to chocolate, right? Actually, <laughs> where's your toilet? What's up with your lips? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> um, no, I was. I love the uh, shooting dream sequence at the end. Ah, the two. There's two different scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, I, that is great too. I'd seen the Matrix before I saw this. Yeah. So I think I just assumed that they'd done it the same the same way. Which one came first? Well, this actually. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all that is funny as well. I think I don't know if it's meant to be funny. Well, what what I find funnier about it is that they didn't have the setup like the Matrix, which is hundreds of cameras you yeah. know, constantly going off. They had three cameras, and they just shot loads of frames per second, like 150 per second or something, and just moved it around them. So he had to actually hold that face. Really? Because like that face there. is hilarious. It's, incredible, right? it's hilarious face. I mean, he's got a crazy face. He's just a really charismatic face. But that scene is, uh, it's really funny. I find it really funny. And which character do you relate to, if any? There's a follow-up bit to this question now. Oh as God, well. I was thinking about that actually, and um, I mean, it's. I think I would say, definitely both like both to him and her like mm. I mean maybe not now but like throughout my life I could probably relate to both of them like I can definitely relate to his sort of like crazy neurotic side sometimes and I can relate to her sides to her as well like you know and when she's when I was younger probably like I'm just like the way she sort of idol idealizes him and like you know and like you know all these different things I think in a lot of films you can connect to different characters and yeah 
the also his friend that he's really mean to and like you know what's he called chunk or chub or something the guy he's really mean to Roy Chubby Brown to him can relate to the bowling balls I can relate to a lot of things well this is why I added a follow-up bit because not all the time can you relate to a you know specific character yeah um so if not a character is there anything in the film that resonates with you or reminds you of something in your life Mm, I mean I think for me like it is in itself like it's a love story but it's a very strange love story as well so i think um wow without getting too sentimental like obviously like the different love stories of my life and like seeing how i really like that it isn't your a sort of typical romance film but there is this sort of like difficulty of how they get together and how it is and i mean obviously he's a total asshole and like it's just like yeah i can connect to that like the reality of like two sort of odd characters meeting and coming together and i think also um i think yeah the the i like this the way it is so personal and it is you know it's based in buffalo he came from buffalo and it's also um, this idea of family and like how family is often presented in film sometimes is you know yeah there's films that, pre- that can portray it in different ways but generally it can be quite a sort of cheesy representation of like family yeah, life yeah. and I really like that this is very real and it's sort of like him going back there and how he tries to pretend that he's you know succeeding and like you know I can connect to that like that feeling of like growing up and like leaving home and coming back and like things like that that was yeah. the thing for me as well and <clears throat> particularly this is going to sound bad because i didn't have like a working class upbringing yeah it was, it was very middle class but it was in a working class area yeah so surrounded by you know mining towns in industrial cities that kind of thing that mm. have sort of been a bit crippled in, yeah. in recent times so that overbearing feeling that you get yeah growing up in one of these areas that is that is built predominantly on yeah. industry and then just that's it's more like the small town like i grew up in a tiny not even you know it's like a street um like and where cheshire was it in cheshire yeah but like in a tiny little town and i think yeah like you, you he he wouldn't really make that film if he'd like grown up in a city it's just like it's got a very different feeling about it when he sort of goes back home and it's like this he's in the house and like everything is it's it's just hard to put my finger on it, but I think it's really special in that way that it's like it's this for me. It's this impression that it's sort of gets stuck in time. Yeah, it's like a and the way the, the dad sort of is like thing, go, takes her to the room and like sings this song to her and like the way they eat this this food together. And but he's still like I don't know if, if it happens to you or even now. Like as I'm getting older and I still go home, I somehow end up sort of reverting to like a teenager and just being like, "Feed me!" Oh yeah, like, definitely. Watching TV and lying on the sofa, and it's like it's quite scary. And it's, the same thing happens in this film. Like he goes back home and he ends up like having a fight because he wants more tripe and they give him bread, and it's quite like interesting. Like a childlike reaction. Yeah, sort of thing, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, there's arguments that this film's misogynistic. Do you think it is? And if so, do the strengths of the film balance out its shortcomings? Oof, that is a hard question to answer because I, yeah, it's also a tricky topic to talk about. But um, I can see why people would say that for sure. And also, he himself has, you know, been connected to saying a lot of crazy stuff. Whether he says it as a joke or whether he actually means it, I don't know. What he's said about women and race and all sorts of things. But 
Um, I don't... Yes, she... He does kidnap her and, like, a lot... It was reviewed by a lot of people, them saying, like, he kidnaps this young girl with, like, huge boobies and, like, takes her and pushes her around. And there is that side to it, of course. But I do... I think there's, like, a way deeper side to it. Like, in a sense, he portrays himself as this sort of weak, neurotic, messed up guy. And it's, like, there is the side of that. It's not just him being, like, this alpha male... Because you see his weakness in his character as well. So it's hard to say it's just like he kidnaps this girl and like pushes her around. Like that's like an undertone, but I, I'm not sure if I 100% agree because I think it, it shows more like male weakness in a sense than female weakness. Yeah. That's, mir- that's stronger in the film to me. No, it, that mirrors what I think about it really. I think. There's definitely some questionable angles in it, but I think, I guess the main argument is this whole fantasy, if you can call it that, of yeah. the woman becoming so beaten down by a guy who's just like a complete dick with her. Yeah. In the end, she ends up loving him. But I think, like you said, because he's such an unlikable character yeah. and difficult to empathise with. But in a way, you can empathise with him, I think, like when he's just, because you can see that he. You can see when he goes back to see his family why he is that way. Mm. But it's quite a complex like look at the film, I guess. But I think, yeah, for, for, I don't know, for some reason I, I never found him like that unlikable. Oh, really? <laughs> really? I found him really funny. I found his character really funny. Oh, I, I, I don't I, know what that says about me. <laughs> Jesus. I, I really don't like him. Really? You yeah. find him really annoying? yeah. I find him really annoying, but in a really funny way, like Woody Allen or something like this. Okay. Mm. <laughs> I guess this brings us on to can you separate the art from the artist in a, in a Me yeah, Too world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's like that in real life, it seems, anyway. So, yeah. Um, would you consider it a happy ending or one that feeds into the miserableism? Yeah, I do find it a happy ending because he gets her a cookie in the shape of a heart. <laughs> but also, I think, like, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sensitive soul, but, like, he sort of overcomes the fact that he is a total asshole, and, uh, you know, there's a bit of sweetness there. And I think the sweetness of his character is highlighted by the fact that he is a complete prick throughout most of the film. So when he sort of... There's a tiny bit of sweetness there with that cookie... I like that. So I see that as like a happy ending. I didn't think it was happy at all. Oh my God, am I mental? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> that's the good thing about film being subjective. How but, did you see it then? Well, because she ends up being with him, I think, through pity. And then even when they do kind of get together at the end, he's still not happy. But he's really happy when he buys that cookie and he's like, it, buy one for your girlfriend. Yeah, then. But then when he goes back to the hotel room, he's, he's still... But then they like... not like being touched and stuff, I don't know. But he's working on it. <laughs> he's a working I really love that scene when it's like filmed from the top and they like slowly come together but they don't fully come together like in a lot of romantic films and it's just like la 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 yeah. it's maybe slightly sad but maybe more true I think yeah yeah that's a good point probably yeah. more realistic yeah great tune as well great tune well funnily enough Gallows said that the film is <laughs> wow, <laughs> smooth. Gallows said that the film is a musical. Would you agree? 
That is crazy that he said that. I mean, there are a couple of scenes... Shall I give you the quote to maybe yeah. contextualise it? Hit okay, so it. he said, that's how it was conceived by me. It's a musical, and the musical numbers are significant, and they're traditional musical numbers in a way. And certainly my creative sensibility, my aesthetic, my point of view, was certainly formed and developed through listening to and playing music. Nice. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just because the film's got a good soundtrack doesn't make it a musical. I don't. But think. there are elements in the film when... You know, it turns into a musical scene, like when his dad starts singing to her and then this sort of like weird, not pinhole camera, but this weird sort of like spotlight is on spotlight, him. And then yeah. it happens again, I think, in the bowling alley, doesn't it? When there's another she moment. She does the tap dance. She does that tap dance. So I guess like with musicals, there is that weird sort of like dreamscape thing, but it's definitely not like sound of music or anything like mm. that. But music is really a strong element of that film. It's definitely integral to it. I guess maybe yeah. it poses a bigger philosophical question of what, what a makes musical? a musical right i'll be up all night thinking about that <laughs> um but he does have a penchant for talking bollocks so i just think he's missed the mark so here do a bit. i <laughs> <laughs> so i got you on <laughs> so i asked people to bring their favorite fact or piece of trivia about the film Ooh. what's yours you give me that one before did i or did i not actually <laughs> My favourite fact or piece of trivia? Well, I have got a good fact about about him that I told you. About the... I mean, is it trivia? It's not really about the film, it's more about him. Mine's not trivia also, so ah, give me yours. Can, you get, can I have yours first? Yeah, sure. One of the best things that I saw when I was reading around about the film mm. is Sky had a programme on in the 90s called Movie Talk uh-huh. where they had three or four film critics on talking about the film seen it yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and then the a couple of them slate it and then halfway through the, yeah halfway through the program they're just like oh without further ado please welcome the director yeah. Vincent have you Geller. seen it yeah yeah i watched that because really it's, it's like a sketch almost yeah and he basically just like rips through them all in his shell suit in a shell suit <laughs> i mean to be that outspoken in a shell suit respect <laughs> so yeah that was my uh yeah trivia that is there yeah, i flaunted the rules a bit okay and maybe i can then because i guess my trivia is that um i don't know if you've seen his website but it looks like it's been made by like a five-year-old it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing but then uh, on the website he offers services and uh yeah that that's what i was telling you before that he offers uh that females can buy like a small pot of his sperm for one million. Strictly females. Only females. And, I mean, if you want to be shocked, stroke, enraged, I would read what he's written because, in a sense, it is hilarious because he literally is saying the most un-PC, messed-up things ever. But um, I, I would just recommend to just read what he's written and figure out your own reaction to that. But it just you just have like 1,000 reactions of just rage because he's just saying all this crazy stuff. But he's, yeah, you can pay, I think it's 50,000 50, for a one-night date with him or you can, yeah, buy his sperm. Which side of the fence would you fall on, sperm or date? Both. But if you if you went for the but date, does, maybe you could get the sperm no, anyway. No, he does say exactly. He does say that he would reduce the price if you're a good-looking female. So wow, I, I need to try check out my this best. website. I mean, you just got to read it. It's just uh, it's just astounding. I just like 
don't understand if if he is joking because it's I don't I just don't understand. Do you think a million is a bargain for his sperm, or do you think it's a bit of a rip off? I mean, it's just the way he advertises it. He talks about like his his school history and sports. He describes himself, what he looks like. It's just yeah, can't even. But no, I feel like that's quite a lot of money. I mean, yeah, for sperm. <laughs> this is the only issue I find with talking about Vincent Gallo films is that the conversation turns more to him, him. and the culture surrounding it rather yeah, than the film itself. True. That's why I left this till last because I thought it was gonna. Yeah, but with the film, I mean, there's lots of trivia around it as well. Like, I know that I read a bunch of stuff about how he did not want Christina Ricci to play that role because he said she was um, not skinny enough. And um, there was, a, I think there's, yeah, truth behind that. I think he probably did say that. We're taking pictures like we're a couple, like we like each other, like we're, we're husband and wife, and we span time together. We span time together as a couple because we're a loving couple spanning time. These photos are us in love, spanning time. No bullshit faces, no funny faces. Just look like you like me. That's all I want. Just look like you like me. That's it. Can you do that? You're so weird. Well, this brings us to the, the most exciting part of the evening, baby. Oh, yeah. You have to rate the film out of five. And uh, can I ask, are you familiar with the star system? No. <laughs> okay, so usually in film magazines or online or whatever people give films people rate them out of five stars uh-huh but on flicks and scoops uh we do it out of scoops oh instead. Cool. so carly jean Dorton is going to give <laughs> buffalo 66 out of five scoops da, 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 da. five scoops five scoops yeah wow four marks really like the film no flaws I mean, can, can it not have flaws if I give it five scoops? Mm, interesting question. Still got fl- flaws, but I still give it five scoops. Okay. I'm, I'm, I like to rate things highly. <laughs> I just want to have a good time. I'm a generous rater. <laughs> uh, I'd give it four. I think I did eat five scoops of, your, of the ice cream as well. Without complaint, which was nice of me. <laughs> could have carried on. <laughs> So, where can people find you? Do you have social media, website, uh, that kind of thing? Um, they just need to find where I live. <laughs> Knock on my door. <laughs> I do have a social media, but it's just I generally just post like jokes on it. Well, people take themselves. But it should have been an estate agent or a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> no, but people take themselves too seriously, and yeah, I like that you don't. And a lot of people have lectured me about that and been like, Carly. Needs blah blah blah. And I'm just like, well, nah. <laughs> Whatever works. And yeah. what's your website? It's just my name, pallydarrington.com. You can also find um, some random music online that I've made. Just You can just search my name and a bunch of weird pictures will come up. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for letting me do it. As always. It's always nice to talk. <laughs> it's always nice when people listen to me it's always nice when people let me talk for ages alright, catch you later bye Bye. that was that pop onto flicksandscoops.com because I put all my ice cream recipes on there so you can play along with us subscribe to the podcast wherever you usually get them from and while you're at it I'd appreciate a follow at flicksandscoops on Instagram and Twitter you never know, you might find some of the content vaguely interesting Next week's guest is the head chef and one of the idea generators at Crazy Bastard Sauce. 
Basti Knight will be repping the Norcone Massive and sprinkling some festive cheer with his choice of film being Die Hard. Ciao for now. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.